Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Listeners, voyagers, whatever we're still trying to figure out how to call you, welcome to another episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is so, so good to have you here. Andrew, how are you doing? You are my co-host. How are you? I'm great, as always, and even better, this week we have Danielle Reynolds, who's the designer of Her Story, which is a phenomenal game I've heard so much about I can't wait to try. Welcome to the pod- Welcome to the show, Danielle. Hey, thanks for having me. So you designed a game called History? Ha ha, Her Story. <laughs> but I do like that you understood the reference, because I've had yes. a few people go, why'd you name it this? And I'm like, think about it, and they're like, oh... Oh, that's people bad. People miss that. Oh, yeah. I know. People miss it's like that. A, it's like an oh. obvious dad joke. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's like in your face. Like, oh, I I got it. I can't see. This is why people like you know me, Kevin Alexander, and Steve from Secret Ball are heroes because we we throw out puns to keep people on their feet. There you so go. They understand these things. You're doing God's work. So See, Andrew, it's God's work. It's God's work. It's not just for my entertainment. No, it's actually funny because we have people mispronounce it, but it's like her story. In our logo, it's like her and then story, but how it's actually like spelled on BGG is like uppercase H. Yeah. One word yeah. and then uppercase S though, but all one word. So it throws people. It took me a while to find it because of that reason, because I was doing it on my phone. And sometimes on my phone, it doesn't always pop up like, here are all the things you could do. Mm-hmm. So I kept typing like, no, lowercase s like there's no such game and i'm looking at it at the game store i'm just like it's it's Where right here <laughs> yeah but but tell us a little bit more about her story like what is this game why it, it's to me i actually think this game is fantastic for a lot of reasons and i haven't even played it yet but i want to hear about what is this game and what were you trying to accomplish with it sure uh so her story was a design that i did uh with nick bentley and also emerson masucci for underdog games and i actually came onto the project like midway so basically emerson and nick had started it emerson left nick continued i came on to the game because it is a game about women through history so they were like you know maybe we should have a designer that is a girl working on this game so then that's where danielle (laughs) appeared um and so the project was kind of a brains like a brain baby child i don't know of hassan who was like i want to have a game about women because they had already done the trekking game. So they had trekking uh, the national parks and trekking the world out and trekking through history was like on Kickstarter or like simultaneously being worked on. And for anyone who doesn't know Underdog, they always do information on the back of their cards or on the front, which is really cool. So the idea was like, okay, let's make this thing about women through history. A lot of people don't know it. And me personally, when content was working simultaneously with design and we finally combined them all into like a later uh, prototype, I felt terrible that I did not know all the women, let alone half of the women in our game, because the game has 120 of them. And me growing up, I hated being a girl. I had no female role models because we didn't learn about these women in our history classes. We learned about the men of history, well, the white guys of history. And I looked up to Wonder Woman. Like I read a lot of comic books because those were my heroes. And so I'm just so excited that this game exists because now kids can like look at it and be like, wait, being a girl is awesome. Being a girl is strong. Being a girl is being smart, talented. Like Hedy Lamar is my bae. And she's actually on the box now because I fell in love with this one woman who is on one card out of 120. But um, the powerful thing about this game is the theme, but it also makes it uh, scrutinized. So like during Women's History Month, we did a promotion and we cut the price uh, to 1919, which was because the 19th Amendment, which allowed mm-hmm. us to vote, uh, happened in 1919. Um, yeah. And so it's like when that happened, BGG spammed us with ones. So just like a oh. bunch of dudes that didn't like our uh, girl game just hit us with ones, which really sucks because like the theme is powerful. The information on the cards is great. And then me personally, since I worked on the design, we really aim to make an incredibly accessible game. So it's a Mm -hmm. set collection engine building game. Sure. Though I did realize, and this is a fun like note to anyone who's working on manufacturing uh, in their design is pre-shuffle because we realized that some people didn't shuffle their cards. And so our game is made up of high (laughs) points with no powers. And then kind of uh, point ranges that have end game powers, uh, catch up powers, powers that just activate whenever mm-hmm. it activates. And then also like symbols that act as the tokens. 
And if you don't mix them all together and you just have like the non-powers, it just looks like the worst, not the worst, but like a very simple set collection game. And so some BGG ratings, I'm like, oh, you didn't shuffle your deck, (laughs) Um, which is a funny thing. So like a good note for uh, designers or publishers in the future, like actually pre-shuffling can sometimes be a good idea. But uh, as far as the game goes, we really tried to make it where you're only doing one thing on your turn. And one of those things is you're either collecting a what we call research token that has different icons on it. And the idea is you're collecting those icons to turn in to get cards. If you turn in too many icons, it's totally fine as long as you hit what it needs. But if you do the exact amount, you get an additional three points. So it's like the first thing you do is you could collect a research token. The second thing you could do is similar to Splendor. You can reserve a card. You get two points right away and no one else can work on that card now. And then the third thing is turning in those uh, tokens to either put one of the cards you've reserved into your book or from the main board into your book. And the goal is to have the most points at the end of the game. And the end of the game triggers when someone has put eight cards into their book. And then you do your end game scoring. And it's really cool because like any engine building game, depending on what cards come out, there's 120. The game can very much range from like crazy swings. Like I've seen someone do only catch up mechanics. So they're like Cleopatra is one of my favorite ones where you literally just get a point on every person's turn if you're in last. So you're just like crawling along while this person's getting a ton of end game things that at the end just like made them zoom around the board, which was just incredible to see. And so it's like fun because I personally, I've designed quite a few games at this point and a lot of them I'm like, I don't want to play this again, but I don't mind playing this game again because it's very accessible. I taught you this in like a minute. Um, and the artwork is just stunning. Yeah. And the content is amazing. And so like big fan of this game, really bummed out that we got hit so hard just because of the theme, but it's like that weird thing of the theme making it powerful, but also making it a target. So. Well, there's a couple things to unpack there. One, all those people labeled it one just showed themselves as being fragile male egos. That's number one. Number two, I think if your game is for everybody, it's for nobody. So what you did was you just narrowed down your target to people who should be embracing and should be looking forward to it. I happen to love strong women. I married one. So I happen to adore them and look for them and try to find them. And based on that, I want to play this game because I want to find it about the ones I don't know yet about. That's so cool. Uh, I also love games that have some sort of way of educating yourself in some way or some way of exploring a topic you didn't know. And I think it's really cool that you chose to do set collection along with engine building, because I think what that does is allows you to build towards certain things. And I think that's partly what women have been doing through course of history is building toward things. So I think you doubled up on the theme there. and It's really clever. Oh, I love that. I have not heard that angle before, but now I'm stealing it for the future. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at all the one reviews on this one, just 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 out of curiosity, because I like to actually look say, hey, what is it? What is this? Why are they relating ones? Well, half of them don't even have like a country of origin, which is a huge red flag. It's like that's yeah. not even a thing, is yeah. it? I I truly don't understand why you don't have to write something. Yeah, <sighs> and then there's one that just says Napoleon history, a collection of lives we've all agreed upon. I have no idea what that even means. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean Napoleon? <laughs> like Napoleon. Either way, like, there's going to be trolls no matter what. It's sad that they did it just because it's woman. Like, when I first saw this game, I was, I I had yet to play it yet just because of my things. But, like, this is something my game store, especially, that I work at pushed for many reasons. On Women's History Month, this is a game I eventually am going to get because my wife wants to homeschool our kids for various reasons. And it's a great history game. Oh, like, for sure. you get to learn about all these women. It's like, when I saw Frida Carlo on the front cover, I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'll look at it because I'm very, very white, but my dad's Mexican, and I grew up in Mexican culture, yeah. and she's a huge part of Mexican culture. And then there was Literally. Jane Goodall, and I just like I just like monkeys, so I was like, Jane Goodall! <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that so much. What you've done is great. It's a great, it was needed, I'm glad you did it. I appreciate that. Honestly, I think it'd be kind of funny to do like a spoof advertising of just all the ridiculous bad reviews. Because, okay, I want to take a second to just read mm-hmm. my favorite bad review to you that yes. I find quite entertaining. All right, Please so this is it. from Amazon. It did get removed because, well, you'll hear it and you'll know why. So in bold, we have woke garbage. I don't pee sitting down. Unbolded. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's the bolded part. <laughs> And next we have, uh, this is a game only Karens will enjoy. I am not a Karen. I am a man and proud of my superiority. Pass on this game and play Twister instead. It is more fun lathered in coconut oil with a hot babe. 
So you can see why it was removed, but how hilarious it is. <laughs> so this is what I got hit with, and I did not expect as a game designer to have these kind of comments about my game. So, obviously they were trolling, and there's comedy in that, but, like, you don't have to give it a one. <laughs> like, just, like, that's the thing, like, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, like, if you, like, make those comments ironically, because it's funny, because obviously they're not serious whatsoever. I hope they're not serious Oh, no, I think whatsoever. That's what I, makes I think that one, serious. yeah, I don't think that, I mean, I also find it funny because it's, like, an Amazon review, so you have to buy the game in order to put that down. Like, it was, like, yes, verified right. that they bought this game. I did buy this game. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. that's... Oh, man. Just just makes me... I don't pee sitting down. It's like, everyone pee sitting down. Shut up. <laughs> Eventually, at one point. Oh, uh, anyways. Well, we're so excited to have you on. Let's go ahead. My instruments are starting to pop and whistle. Let's go ahead to pre-launch and talk about games we've played recently. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guests. In the pre-launch, we talk about one game we have been playing recently and what we thought about it. So, let's go ahead and kick this off. Danielle, I actually want to start with you because this is a game that I saw. It's a theme that I'm interested in, and it just sounds like a good time. So, go ahead and talk about this one. Sure. Yeah. So a game I just recently played was Taiwan Night Market. I actually played it on a live stream for Heavy Cardboard. Uh, well, I don't know mm. if this is going to air like a month later, but this will be off of Kickstarter by then. So I really enjoyed it. I will say, though, I have played it now three times and I played it with the initial game and then also with like the bonus pack that got unlocked during the Kickstarter. And like after yeah. playing both versions, you need to play with that bonus bit. Like, it just makes the game so much better because it has asymmetric powers. But the idea of this game is it's kind of like an auction game where you're auctioning to try to get different locations um, to build, like, your food stall. Well, mm -hmm. these, like, little animals are kind of, like, walking their little... <laughs> we joke, like, drunk walk because, like, really, they look like little derpy boys. They're just, like, walking around and they go through. <laughs> and if the stall is there, each stall can only handle one customer because, I don't know, like, they can't wait in line or something. And so uh, you're trying to attract like these animal customers into your stall for food on a stick, ramen, donuts, and um, what is the other one? Oh, boba tea. Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting in the way that you only get two auction cubes that you're putting out and you're putting it on like different amounts of money. You'll flip over numbers of like where the different stall locations that will be built will be. And then you can outbid each other. Uh, but you have very like limited money. You're only going to get money if a customer appears. You know a few of the customers coming out, but then like you as the players are also going to be like pre-assigning which customers you're going to put out too. So that way you'll know like where you want to bid and what kind of stall you want to build. And it's like you can build your little empire of like meat on a stick and just put a bunch of them next to each other because you're going to get more money the bigger your uh, restaurant is. But okay. it was actually like I looked at it initially and I was like, eh, I'm not sure I'm going to like this. I played it and I was like, okay, that's not bad. And then I played it with like this... Um, added on bit from kickstarter and it just like got so much better because each time you got to choose like hey i i don't think i'm gonna get a customer like i'm gonna like just pay grandma to rent out my thing this time and get some money or like i want a loudspeaker so i can like attract the boba tea people before even though technically this boba tea stand is before mine and so like adds mm -hmm. all these kind of fun little interesting moments um but yeah it was very cute it even though it was on heavy cardboard i wouldn't have called it like a heavy game i would have called it probably like mid range yeah maybe not even okay. well probably probably midweight uh depending on what kind of games you play but i enjoyed it i would recommend it uh to anyone who enjoys like kind of bidding games it can be pretty harsh though i will say because whoever has the most stalls will be first in turn order and you tend to get screwed pretty hard when you're first okay. because you get outbid so really you kind of have to bid high in the beginning which means the third person can sometimes get two stalls for free like edward did which damn it edward <laughs> but um yeah it was a fun game it was cute i enjoyed it have you ever been to a uh, night market before i have i actually was in japan uh last year so yes cool so so how does how does your experience in the night market compared to is it like that or is it loud like because the night market's thing i've always wanted to go to having being like a food person yeah and a foodie like what is your experience? Does it like capture that energy or is it more of like, this is a game first, but me mechanisms first? Um, I will definitely say people were willing to wait in line in real life. <laughs> they didn't just like decide <laughs> to pass and go to the next thing. There was also a lot larger variety of food and less boba tea. 
and donuts. But uh, <laughs> I think they're just using the donut sign as like a pastry. Um, yeah. Definitely a ton of like meat on a stick though. That felt very accurate. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think it was like kind of a cute-ish representation. I wouldn't, yeah, it was cute. <laughs> Similar okay, adjacent. awesome. I'll have to give this one a try because that that theme just speaks to me spiritually. So awesome. Andrew, you got a classic on here. What have you been playing? Yeah, so recently my wife and I we broke out Castles and Mad King Ludwig again. Uh, we got the collector's set. We got the new deluxe pieces. It all feels pretty awesome. Uh, we have decided that when you get the big deluxe set, it makes it harder to bring off the shelf. And I feel like that's such a, a bummer. Like we got it months ago. And this was our first time actually playing it because it's a little intimidating to get that big, huge box out and take out all the pieces and get all the parts. But man, is it so fun. I love that game. We played one of those weird games too, where like everything did not line up. So mm -hmm. none of us were drafting much, which made the game stretch out much. But then also then it all came in a, in a rush and we we're like pounding things and spend a lot of money. And it was just, this game is so fun. It like self-regulates its own aspects. And then at the end, you get this nice, cool, interesting castle where you've got, you know, the wine cellar touching the armory. And then you've got the buttery touching the, the squire's quarters. And you've got all these different interesting things. You have to tell stories about, about how that happened or why that happens. You know, the squire is very fond of butter. So we want to have the buttery built next to him. Like, just weird things like that. So this was a great little game. I feel like it's very underappreciated, believe it or not, even though it's, very highly regarded. I feel like just an, not enough people are talking about this game in a way that I feel like everybody should experience this game once. Like, I just think it's amazing. So that's one I recommend. You know, it's funny. Actually, the one time I played it, I actually played it with Ted at the Bezier Games headquarters. Yeah. And I played the like nice expansion the or like the new deluxe. And I was like, oh, this is so nice. And then I saw how big the box was. and I was like, mm, that's not going to fit in my apartment. <laughs> But it is. It's a great game. I really enjoyed it. Josh, have you tried that one yet? I have not tried Castles of Mad King Ludwig. I need to, of course, because it's one of those games that everyone talks about. And I believe it's Polyominoes, correct? Kind no. of. It's not really. It's actually like room tiles. And you yeah. put the tiles next to each other to form the castle it is. But yeah. uh, we'll we'll play that one together either at Gen Con or Origins. I'm sure we'll, we'll find time to get that done. We will figure it out. It's not too sure. hard to teach, too, which is really nice. No. And the icons are pretty. I mean, I will say the bigger tiles do make it easier with the icons, though. Yeah, but then it becomes a table hog. But that's cool. Yeah. That's fine, too. All right, Josh, what have you been playing? So I just recently finished up, and I'm still ending one of campaign, of Avatar Legends, which is this the... Oh, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is the giant, massive Kickstarter... RPG that, about Avatar The Last Airbender World or Legend of Korra, whatever of those stories you're familiar with. This is the Avatar World and RPG. It went on Kickstarter, I think, last year-ish, maybe two years ago, and it was huge. It made like $10 million on Kickstarter. It was the largest RPG Kickstarter ever. I went all, all in on this. I got my book. I got my nice little cloth map of the Four Nations. I've got my White Lotus towel. I got Washi Tonks Guide, and I convinced the store that I work for to let me run a curated campaign of this for a bunch of people. And I did two campaigns of this um, last month, finishing up one this weekend, and I finished up one last week. So there's a couple of ways I feel about this. As an Avatar RPG and what it's designed to be, which I think they designed this to be someone who's never played RPGs before okay. and just loves Avatar, they can jump in and get an RPG experience. I think this is excellent. Yes, This is not complicated this is not a very complicated system especially for a dungeon master or a game master storyteller i forgot what they exactly call them in this game mm -hmm. and it's it's just a 2d6 dice system which is powered by the apocalypse i said before my favorite rpg system ever, ever. i love powered by the apocalypse if you roll below a six you miss seven to nine is a soft success and a 10 plus is a hard success and great things happen very simple i think the playbooks are awesome which is like the character sheets if you just played like dungeons and dragons and stuff and I think that what they were trying to accomplish of people who just love Avatar, here's an RPG and here's the world of RPGs you can explore. I think they nailed it on the head. I think it's wonderful. As someone who's played a lot of RPGs and loves loves RPGs and played more than just Dungeons and & Dragons and done like Call of Cthulhu and all those other stuff, I think it is just okay. 
There's a couple things I had a problem with. I didn't love the combat system, which was it was kind of a rock, paper, scissors thing. In a large group setting, it was really rough to kind of keep track of what was happening. One on one, though, like I had an instance where I was it was with me and another player and we got into a one on one duel. It was amazing. Like it was this extraordinarily epic fight in a very narrow corridor against a chi blocker and an earthbender. It was great. It took like took like 30 minutes to get through and all the other players kind of watching, which no. stink, cause I was trying to I was trying to move through as fast as I could. It's just what happened. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't love the combat, but that, but narratively it felt amazing, and I loved that moment. So, is it a game I'm dying to go back to me- me- mechanically? I don't think so. There's a couple things, like I said, I had issue with, and the way it went out. But if somebody who loves Avatar and hasn't played RPG says, "I, I want to play this RPG," absolutely 100%. And if anybody's waffling on it and says, "I really love Avatar and I don't, but I don't play too RPGs," should I play this? 100% I would recommend it. This is for you. I'm really glad they don't with it. And I can't wait for them. To, hopefully they do more with it. Because I think as they improve and expand, they get more feedback. It's only going to get better. Um, but that was Avatar Legends, the RPG. All right, I've got That's two awesome. follow-up questions on that real quick. One, do you feel like each nation is balanced? Or is it bad to be the earthbender? Or does it feel a little hard to be the firebender? Like what... What kind of balancing does it have for the different levels? And are you coordinating amongst multiples or is it your whole party has to be one side? Um, you don't. So it's kind of weird how they do it, but it makes complete sense. It's just something I actually really liked about it. You pick an era of playing. So like a time period. And that's based on what avatar was alive during that time. So it goes all the way back to Kyoshi, which is, by the way, long live Kyoshi. She's the best avatar. Don't, but I will die on this hill. <laughs> There's the Kyoshi era, and it goes all the way up to the Korra era. So, in like Kyoshi's era, there's there's like basically five different disciplines, which is water, earth, fire, air, technology, and martial arts. So there's actually six. Hmm. How it works is that you pick a playbook, which isn't actually like Earthbender, Firebender. It's like, hey, you're the idol or something or the icon. This gives you a character archetype. So it's not exactly like, hey, you pick this cleric or wizard, you can do this. Like, no, here's your character arc because the thing about this RPG. It is much heavier under storytelling and relationships hmm. than something like combat. Okay. You're, you're really because that's what makes that's what makes Avatar really great is that you have this amazing character study of a bunch of different people coming from all different walks of life, overlapped with some sick martial arts <laughs> and okay. like magic magic rock throwing. Mm-hmm. So nothing is not balanced. I found that some, in my opinion, I thought the weapons were a little more fun to play with narratively. Like if you're a martial artist with no bending. That's only my preference, though. Nothing felt unbalanced. It was all pretty much like, hey, some playbooks may be more exciting to others depending on your play style, which is a common thing in this type of game. So, no, there's really no balance issue. You just had to pick, you know, hey, if you want to play an Aang's era, you're not going to be playing an airbender. I'm sorry, because there's only Aang. Yeah. And if you're in the Hundred Years' War, you're not playing any airbenders at all mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Or, you know, hey, I want to be a metalbender in Kyoshi's era. Sorry, that's not going to happen because metal bending wasn't invented until Toph came along. Yeah. So there's there's lots of things to take into consideration when doing this, but balance wise, now nah, you can play whatever you want to play as long as it fits within the time period. All right, second question: How friendly is this to homebrewing or making adjustments for more advanced tabletop role playing players? Oh, I did. I, my entire thing was pretty much made up for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's I, I I homebrew a lot. Like, I make my own custom moves like that I think are cool. That, that I mean, as an experienced dungeon master, game master, I can do that and kind of balance it. And one thing great about being game master, if something's becoming too powerful, you can just change it mid-game to help the players out. Yeah. So this is great. Like, I made my own weapons style of fighting that had to do with a sword and water slashing and stuff like that. That wasn't in the rule book, but I made it and it worked out and all the players loved it. So it's, it's pretty homebrew friendly. No, that's awesome. Cool. Cause that's one that I've wanted to try. Cause I, I don't do a lot of RPGs. My like first Dungeons and Dragons experience was literally on a live stream last year for pride with women in games international. Yeah. I jumped in and I got recorded <laughs> doing it, but you know what? I think that's fun. <laughs> yeah. But it if sounds you, like my kind of thing. Yeah. If you love Avatar, love you will Avatar. love this RPG. And Korra. Yeah. So I love Avatar. 
I love. I, I need to finish Korra. The thing is with Korra, I, I don't want to go. Yeah. This I stopped after the second. Lot like lots of people, I stopped after the second Get past. season because it just wasn't. Get past yeah. It. Like I love the first season. The first season was fantastic, and. You know, I was like, get into it. The second season was like, eh, and I just never got back into it. You gotta get past that. that second season. Yeah. I need to. I need to just buy Netflix again so I can watch it. I don't have Netflix right now. Either way. So, uh, but yeah, definitely give it a try if you love Avatar, Daniel. Cool. Well, we spent enough time, I think, talking about the games we played recently. We want to hear about Danielle's story, so let's go ahead to the dive and be entertained. Danielle, regale us with tales of your is all the helm is yours, basically. Okay. <clears throat> uh, yeah. So I was trying to think about this. You asked me to come up with like a story. And I think probably my favorite story, just because I still cannot believe this happened, is how the eBay Buy It Now game happened. So for anyone who was at Gen Con uh, last year, you may have noticed that eBay had a very strong presence and was actually giving away this game called eBay Buy It Now, a completely built full like game that honestly probably should have sold for like at least $30 for just like production value. Um, but all you had to do was show that you had an eBay account. So now how that game happened was the year before that, uh, when we had gotten back from COVID, like everyone was still wearing masks, but it was like the first time of Gen Con. I had a great show, showed up at the airport, was hungry before my flight, was looking around for a restaurant, found one that you had to seat yourself. I saw like this old couple looking like they were finishing up. So I asked if I could like hover. And then this guy was like, hey, why don't you just sit with me? Because he was sitting at a four person spot and he was one person. So I sat down kind of across from him diagonal and I noticed he has an eBay shirt. And so his name was Stephen Weller. I asked him, I was like, hey, so how'd the show go for you? Because at that point, that was the first show that eBay had ever, had ever been at for Gen Con. And he's like, yeah, it was really good. But a lot of people are like, why are you here? Because as gamers can be, they're sometimes a little gatekeepy. Um, and I was like, I completely understand. Because like most board games, especially when they go out of print, they end up on eBay. So like I understood it. And he appreciated I understood it. And he's like, well, did you get one of our trading cards? And I just kind of gave him a blank stare. And he's like, well, we made these like trading cards as an exclusive because eBay, all the different conventions they go to, they make like an exclusive collectible for the show that they're at. So he actually uh, handed me one of the cards, which was kind of this like cool tarot card thing. Um, and then I was like, well, hey, I'm actually a game designer. And at the time I was working for a manufacturing company that also did like graphic design, illustration, like everything in house, like just from A to B to Z. Um, and so I was like, hey, well, here's my card. If you're thinking you might want to make an actual board game, like I'd love to do that for you. And so we exchange information. I get back. I tell my company about this interaction. I sent follow-up emails. We ended up on calls. I ended up coming up with a bunch of different pitches, but eventually we landed on eBay Buy It Now. The reason it's called that is because there is a Buy It Now button on eBay. A lot of people don't realize you can just like go there and buy something for a specific price that's set. You always think of it as always being an auction. So I incorporated all those mechanics into the game because in the game you can like go and find like free stuff out of grandma's closet. So it's like you grab grandma's closet's things, turn it in uh, to eBay, get the amount of money that it's going for. But of course, like eventually if you have too much of something like comic books, uh, it crashes and it comes back down. So it's like it's got a moving market and then there's an auction spot. But there's also these buy it now cards, which are part of the set collection because very simple like Sushi Go, the set collection is just like, hey, you have one, two, three, four of something. You're going to get more points uh, with triangle scoring, as well as if you have one of everything, you get X uh, amount of points. So I built this game. I hired on uh, Jonathan Gilmore to develop it. And I was incredibly proud. Granted, I did uh, end up leaving that job under not the best circumstances. And so they did change a few of the things in development. So when I got the game, I was a little annoyed at some of the changes. So I actually, I home ruled my own game. But it was still really cool to see that product. When I showed up at Gen Con, uh, eBay was like incredibly excited to see me. I actually got to meet one of the owners of eBay, took some photos with a bunch of people. I actually just saw them at Gamma. And so like, if they do a game in the future, most likely I'll be the designer of it. But it's just crazy to think that literally me interacting with a random stranger at an airport led to me creating a game for one of the largest companies in the world. 
this is a lesson for all the people who are shy. Just go talk to people. Like, <laughs> just I, talk to people. I mean, just do it. It's I, never going to hurt. <laughs> force myself. I'm an introvert. It's difficult. I'm not saying it's not difficult, but force yourself to do it. You're better off in life just talking to people and making connections. 100%. The amount of people I've randomly talked to that turned into like something down the line is unbelievable. So when you are, this is very interesting because this is not making a game based off an IP. It's making a game off an entire company, almost like culture of eBay. How did you approach even like getting that to the table? Like what was your thought process? Um, so I came up with a few concepts, but for that one in particular, I was trying to look at like the interface of eBay. So it's like when you go on the page, you might have like, all right, here's the bidding, here's the amount of time, but also here's this like buy it now where it's like, okay, this thing is priced at like $20, but like I might end up spending more than $20 in this auction. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those things where it's like, okay, what is the cycle of eBay? First, you find old things that you either don't want, you're trying to get rid of, or like you need to make money fast. So it's like, we're going to put it there. So it's like, all right, so we're going to have a stream of cards. There's just random shit that you find in your house. You find at a yard sale. Some of them you actually spent money on. Some of it you just like kind of took from grandma. Um, so you have that line of cards that you can choose to take from as one of your actions. But also you can take those things that you already collected. So um, in this case, since they, uh, it was Gen Con, all of the different things that were going on eBay for the game are toys, like plushies, trading cards, comic books, board mm -hmm. games. Um, so everything kind of like in that form of nerd culture, even though they do like right. a ton of other stuff. So I focused in on those things. So that's kind of the market that's like moving up and down. So uh, trading cards score differently than like um, collectible, like statues is the most valued thing. And so basically it's like, you're turning those in every time you sell it, it's actually like moving up, making it more expensive. So it's like, if someone sells a lot of something, it like jumps up, but it might hit the top flush back to the bottom, which is unfortunate if someone's like trying to save up in order to like get it at a higher price. So I kind of took from a few like auction games that I had enjoyed mm -hmm. playing and kind of like mimicked a little bit of that. And also I'm like a huge fan of like set collection because it seems like this was supposed to be more like mass markety friendly, like entry level. That's kind of the design space that I live in is most of what I design are party games, entry level game, like strategy and like, uh, I don't know, a few other types, but that's kind of what I focus on mostly. Um, so I took that and then I was like, okay, well, we're, we're going to do an auction, but I always like prefer when people like reveal at the same time, because there's that kind of tension of like, oh, I'm maybe going to be spending $30 and the next person's only like at 10. And so it's like, well, I just blew 20 extra dollars. But like, that's the idea at eBay. You don't know what other random people online are going to be bidding. So right. I felt like that was the correct auction uh, method to do. And yeah, so, I mean, it was just really fun. I was just kind of dissecting like what this eBay page is when I'm trying to purchase something or when I'm trying to like put something on eBay. I know that I, I've had my uncle put things on there for me before and I've definitely like bought stuff. So Actually, I'm a huge superhero nerd, so I have, like, Batgirl statues that I got off of eBay that are, like, in my apartment. I was just kind of taking that all apart and, like, putting it into a game and just trying different things. And then, uh, so I always joke that my weak spot as a designer, and I feel like every designer needs to think on this, is, like, what is your weak spot? Mine mm -hmm. is math. Like, I can guesstimate math for sure, but I always like to hire a developer or have a co-designer that kind of fills that gap, which is why I chose John, because he's just, like, so math-focused, heavy. He looked at it immediately was able to fix like any little tweak that needed to be done in like an hour or two and it was insane to me wow i had yeah. a lot of respect for jonathan gilmore before this conversation now i even have more that's oh, impressive i love him he is one yeah. of the reasons i'm here today like when i first started as a designer i pitched to him back when he was at pandasaurus like taking mm -hmm. pitches and it was at the very end of like the exhibit hall hours so it's like we were wrapping up at six o'clock when everything was shutting down and I was like, oh, you must be happy. I'm your last person. And he's like, oh, no, I have things scheduled till midnight. I just kind of looked at him like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> he was so sweet because he's like, we might miss people because they have to like work during the day or they have to find a babysitter or X, Y, Z. And it was just so cool to like hear someone trying to adapt their schedule to try to find those people that wouldn't normally get a chance, which That's was great. amazing. But not yeah. only that, like I pitched a bunch of games that because I was a newer designer, I didn't realize like specifically what kind of designs I should be pitching to specific publishers. I do a lot more research now, but yeah. he actually walked me around and introduced me to other publishers that my games fit. And it's like, he didn't need to do that, but he took the that time to do that. And it was amazing. So that's amazing. what I try to do now when I think of like paying it forward. So I love Jonathan Gilmore. I'm a huge fan and I'm also a really close friend with him now. So that's amazing. I had a similar experience actually too, when I was 
trying to get more into tabletop as a either career. Still working on that. But yeah. John was actually, I, re, I was referred to him by a friend of mine who I who I just knew just going to conventions. And John was more than happy to talk. He sat up for like 30 minutes, no charge, and just talked to me like, hey, what's a game developer? What, what's yeah. what's this? What advice do you have? And he gave me a great list. Yep. And, you know, we've been try- I, I've been wanting to get on the podcast for a while now. And he's actually said, hey, I'll come on any time. It's just scheduling yep. and stuff like that we're working on. But like, if, if there's anyone out there who's looking for a developer, I'm not sure what he can do now because he's with Maestro Media. Mm-hmm. Or if you're looking for just like advice, anything that Jonathan Gilmore says when it comes to board games and stuff like that, he is absolutely brilliant. Oh, yeah. It's gold. Amen to that. So a, a, a theme here in your like conversations is like, well, you, you obviously... I wouldn't say I'm not gonna say it fell into your lap because obviously it didn't. You were just there at the airport and it happened. You were you met eBay and that that's a it's a miracle that sometimes it's just how life yeah. works. And lots of what you do, from what I understand, is that you reach out to people who may feel maybe disenfranchised, who are struggling. Um, from what I understand, as far as like we do with the gamers and stuff like that, and try to bring them into the hobby. Am I correct in that? Yeah. So I, on top of like what I do for work, which is like designing and project management and all that, I volunteer my time for a lot of nonprofits, but I am a director for Tabletop Gay MERS, and then also an admin for Board Game Broads Plus, as well as doing stuff for Unpub. I'm on the board for them, and I volunteer my time for the Young Inventor Challenge, the Tabletop Mentorship Program, and Women in Games International. So everything that I do is really to help um, add diversity into the gaming space and trying to like be a loudspeaker for people like women or femme presenting individuals or LGBTQ plus like people that I know that I can like have a voice for or at least attempt to have a voice for because I am an extrovert. I talk to everything that moves and yeah, it's like I have specific skill sets that I try to like use to put forward because I have the free time, or at least I make the free time to do that because I find it really important. And I've enjoyed seeing the diversity that's been added to this industry in the past few years, honestly. It's definitely better because you're there. So we thank you for that. And I love that you're a champion for others. That is just such a great and generous way to spend your time. Um, And knowing that you're designing all these games, that's very valuable time that could be done other ways. It could be selfish, but you're not. And I think it's amazing. Thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate it. Honestly, I am at this point where I have to say no to more things than yes, but I really enjoy being able to say no, but have you met? And then yes. making introductions because, I mean, that's what other people have done for me and that's what I want to continue to do for other people. Who are some of your favorite creators right there? I mean, like talk about creators. Ooh. Who are some of your favorite creators right now in that huh? that kind of, do I say spectrum? That, that's what, <laughs> that, that kind of area. I don't want to say spectrum. Maybe that's not the best word, but like in that area. Who are some of your favorite creators right now that you think deserve more attention that we can maybe plug here Ooh, for the heck of it? That is an interesting question. So I actually had it pointed out to me that I've started doing more co-designs, but all my co-designs are men because I actually don't know too many female designers that want to co-design first off or have time to. But I would like to promote like Sarah Ship. She just had Deadly Dowagers, which I'm going to be talking about later. Uh, come out and so it was really funny I had her on my podcast Game Design Unboxed and both of us had games come out about women and Gnarly Carly actually did a video for uh, International Women's Day about both both games because it's funny because mine is like her story promoting women through history and Deadly Dowagers is about these women that murder their husbands to uh, gain more fortune (laughs) in order to marry the Duke and it's just these like really kind of like one satirical and one is historical um yeah, but about like women. So it's like Sarah's awesome. Kathleen Mercury is just a rhino. She just like knocks through things and doesn't let anything stop her. And she love it. Is coming back to the United States and so hopefully gonna be designing more things. I'm a big fan. Yes. Um, of course there's like also different like influencers. Like I love Casey and I love Benita. Both of them are very entertaining. Uh, I love watching them. But yeah, you know, there is I wish I wish I'd known this question was coming so I could have had a list to just say, but off the top of my head there's just a few. What do we need to do as like, so me, I think me and Andrew are your typical gamer, you know, yeah. we, we're, we're the typical gamer and that's, and that's it. okay. Cause we, we need to, we love games. It's not going to stop us, but you know, what do we need to do? The average gamer, mm-hmm. people have been gaming for a long time. What do we do to help these people come into the hobby? What can, what's somebody can either proactively or is the word subactively, <laughs> maybe subconsciously, it's like Pass- passively, <laughs> there you go, there you go. <laughs> subactively, I'm using subactively now though from now on, Please. what can we do to help, you know, get, help these people come into the hobby to play games or even like with designers, how can we say, hey, yeah, no, we want you here, 
you provide a different perspective and you can do great things. What can we do? For sure. Uh, so things you can do, like if you are a retailer, they have staff favorites. You could also do diversity picks. So like you could have things that are like artists, like put quantize art on a game, like Bosque or something, put that up. Or a designer like me, put that in a specific place. Like that's a great, a great way to promote diversity in like a gaming or game store. When you're actually at a convention, uh, Tabletop Gamers has these little ribbons that have pronouns and also have like gamer or ally. Wearing mm-hmm. those is actually great because like I know when I entered the industry, I didn't know where those were coming from, but it felt like this secret society that I eventually found and I got to slap it on my badge. Now we know where we're coming from because we have a booth at a mm-hmm. lot of the major conventions, but wearing those and just like seeing that on someone's badge, seeing the ally with the ribbon uh, makes me feel safer, like approaching a space. Like I'm not going to like sit down with a bunch of random people and hear someone say something very homophobic or uh, like that review that I got about peeing sitting down. So like, yeah. you know, it just like, it feels like a safer space when I see that. Also the pronouns right. are great, especially as we are kind of like going towards more like the they thems. There's, I have a lot of friends and I've also dated people that were non-binary that went by they them, but were very femme presenting. And I would have never known. I would have a hundred percent assumed. And that was my bad. And even I'm trying as a person to get better about that. So like mm-hmm. wearing those is a great way to do it too. Uh, with designers, if you're in like a design group, if you like hear of someone who is a minority designer and they maybe are like on the fence or maybe they don't want to come, just like keep inviting them. Just mm-hmm. being like a friendly face is great. I know that when I lived in the Chicago area and I started like co-hosting a design group because I was female and I was a co-host, actually more girls started showing up and feeling more comfortable. So like just start to get like someone as a repeat and it starts to bring more people like them to that group or that space. Um So yeah, just like, honestly, just be friendly, be open, be willing to like share information. And I mean, that's what I do at Board Game Broads Plus. Anytime I see like an opportunity that I can't take, I just post it there. Or if I hear of like, a lot of publishers will be like, hey, looking for female designers, like doing a specific, like a specific pitch session for them. Just like make sure people know about it because just Mm -hmm. like information is important. But yeah, so those are just a few things you can do. Just be friendly, be nice and pay it forward. Like, in general in life you should do to anyone <laughs> absolutely and we can always yeah. just design more games about women i think that's a good way to start too sure yeah definitely as a dude you should do that <laughs> i'm kidding now i'm gonna flip it on you sure. so the community you're reaching out to what advice do you have for them to break in to this this i don't know circle this industry what advice do you have for them what what, what do they need to do i guess the word now is proactively yeah Okay, so I did a lot of volunteering. I found that volunteering was the quickest way for me to get into the industry. Also the most Mm -hmm. affordable because like going to conventions is not cheap. But I made it affordable because I volunteered for publishers where they covered my badge, my hotel room, and occasionally even had like hourly wages. Um, So like volunteering was a great way to do it. Also joining like different design groups, either online or in person, or even just like board game groups is a good way to like get involved and play more games because I know the more games I started to play the better I became as a designer and the more people I started meeting because you like honestly never know who this like random person you're talking to is going to be like you might meet someone that eventually is going to get you invited to some like secret society board game convention yeah Uh, yeah. um so yeah you just you never know but like just be kind and uh try to be like helpful and put your best foot forward. Cause when I first started, I was just like very friendly, like, Hey, I'm Danielle. And I didn't really ask for things. I actually confused Deidre from Funko. I like saw her at Essen and I was just like, Hey, we've interacted online. I'm friends with Daryl Andrews. And I just like kind of told her, I was like, I'm just really impressed that you're a female that owns this amazingly large company that's putting out these IP games. And she's like, Oh, are you looking for a job? And I was like, no, I just wanted to tell you you're doing great. <laughs> It was like, just, yeah, I completely baffled her. It was so funny. And I was just like, oh, this is sad. Like, we need to tell people when they do good things. Absolutely. Like, it's not, I'm in yeah. favor of that. And also just show up. Like, you want to be yeah. part of this? Just be part of it. Just show up. Literally. And also speed pitching, apply to those. That's how I got my first game signed. If you ever see opportunities through Unpub or through any other organization, signing up for those is great. You get awesome exposure with publishers, even if it is for just five or seven minutes, you get awesome Mm -hmm. feedback. I normally get some of the best feedback from getting a no in a pitch than through playtesting. So like sign up for that. It's typically, well, typically it's free if it's Unpub related. I know some of the bigger ones like Mojo is not free, but 
doing that was great practice, mm-hmm. great opportunity. And also I know at Unpub, we really push for like people we haven't seen to try to get a slot in that. So highly recommend doing it. I know that helped me. I got my first game signed. So I also feel like publishers in general have more precise and deep feedback that hits yep. like they know where to find the weak points really fast. They so, do, but also they will gear it towards their company. Pitch, pitch to a publisher, they'll show you it's not or that it is and like, okay, now I can pitch to the next publisher, but don't like line up your pitches right in a row. Like go ahead and do the one, see if it survives and then keep going from there. Awesome. To kind of wrap that up, I think that's amazing advice that you're giving. Firstly, I think every time Daryl Andrews is mentioned on our podcast, we need to like send him $10 or something. Oh my gosh. You, you probably have like a, we'll have well over a hundred dollars at this point. It's funny. I well, I mean, I'm co-designing with him too. Like we've become oh, really nice. close friends. So yeah, I'm a big fan, but he's my buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had him on recently. So it's, yeah, I got to know him. So he's awesome. Mm-hmm. And secondly, Actually, I forgot my secondly because I laughed at that joke. But it, it was something. <laughs> this is what happens with me. This is this is my ADHD cocking. But I think what you're doing, as far as like the advice you're giving, is fantastic. So thank you for sharing that. We are really deep down into this tabletop C, Meeple C, whatever we call it. Let's go ahead and put, turn on our sonar and see what games we're looking forward to in our future. Now we have our sonar. We are talking about games we are looking forward to playing in the future. Andrew, let's go ahead and start with you. All right, so this is a game that just looks beautiful on the table, but I admit fully that I'm a map geek. So anything that involves cartography or topography, big fan of anyway, this is Land versus Sea. Um, it's just a basic tile land game. People are comparing it to like Carcassonne or something like that, but deeper, like more attacky more thinky, which I'm in favor of. And apparently also has a three-player version. So it's not just land versus sea. It's also land versus sea with other aspects. But essentially what it is, you just draw a tile and then you play a tile. Um, But the other cool thing about this, I guess, is you can see the top of the tile, but you can't see the bottom of the tile. But once you draw it, you do have two options. So some interesting things with that. I need to check this one out. Uh, I picked up a copy. I'm very excited. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Danielle, what are you looking forward to? So I mentioned mine before, Deadly Dowagers, but it's kind of like set collection, kind of like a Sushi Go, except with the idea of you are a Victorian woman who's married to a man, but you know what? He's not enough for you. You want to (laughs) move up your station in life. And so what you're doing is you're either helping him like get promoted to eventually kill him, uh, or you just kill him right away and try to remarry and keep going and going and going until you build up enough money in order to marry the duke because you know you need that dowry so i just find the theme to be hilarious and i love talking to sarah on my podcast of like where it came from because her whole initial idea was just the i wanted to have it show like how generations can like move up in life and then like Mm -hmm. at some point i like snapped her head she's like wait what's a quicker way of doing that instead of having like years of generations well why don't we just have murder <laughs> murder murder um, why suffer yeah. with time if you don't have to right yeah absolutely. exactly if you are a smart young woman with very limited options murder murder <laughs> um so yeah just like because the theme i find hilarious and the fact that it came out um on women's history Month. there's just like a lot about it i actually have it it's in shrink wrap i plan on playing it as soon as possible nice so. Well, to wrap it up, I am looking forward to playing Eclipse, a new dawn for the galaxy. Specifically, a new dawn. I got this is the a big old kind of considered a Twilight Imperium esque four X game, where I actually don't know a lot about. It. I bought it because some guy was selling the entire first edition, the ship upgrades packs, and the expansion for twenty bucks Ooh, at my game store. Wow! I was like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting that. So like, I don't, I had no interest in playing Eclipse until that moment. So I bought it. I know it's going to be, it's kind of like a shorter, more condensed Twilight Imperium. And I've always wanted to play that type of game before. And now that I have a game group who's more willing to play that game, those stuff with me, I want to sit down and learn it because I want to experience these epic space opera type games just so I have it in my back pocket and I can have an opinion of it. This is the first edition. I don't know the difference between the first and second edition, but who cares? They're still both rated great on BGG. So we'll see how that goes. But that's, uh, that is. Eclipse, the new dawn for the galaxy. 
Danielle, we've kept you down here long enough in this sweaty tube we call the tabletop submarine. Let's shoot back up to the surface and we'll let you go. Danielle, thank you for giving up your time. We know you're very busy. We appreciate you coming on to our little podcast and you know, sharing your message and sharing your games and sharing your stories with the world. If people want more Daniel Reynolds in their life or they want to support you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, so you can actually follow me on Twitter or Instagram under the handle Token Gamer, and that's spelled G-A-Y-M-E-R. You can also follow my podcast, Game Design Unbox Inspiration Publication. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the No Direction Network, which is the host of it. So those are probably the best ways to support me. I mean, beyond just like buying my game or saying hey at a convention. <laughs> and I recommend the, uh, the podcast, Board Game Unboxed. It's very, very good. Yay, I'm so glad. I love interviewing designers. Selfishly started it to become a better designer and a network, but also it's just really cool. I always like the Food Network show like Unwrapped and just mm -hmm. kind of took that with board games. Wasn't that a great show? It was such a good show. Uh, just, uh, Unwrapped was such a good show. Yeah. Like you never realized how a Mars bar was made until that very moment. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Exactly. <laughs> did, you ever, <laughs> did you ever watch, you know what show we're talking about, Andrew? <laughs> not at all well the idea is basically they would take a food and you got to learn like how it got made kind of like my show it's hey here's a board game where'd the inspiration come from how did it change how'd you find a publisher self-publish just kind of like all the steps that made it a product from the initial idea so big fan of the show big fan of my show and now i got a new show to watch on food network good perfect <laughs> i don't think it's actually on it anymore it's so like an old it's, it was show. older it was all right then it just needs to be a youtube watch that's fine YouTube. with that too yeah, I'm sure you can find it. it was huge, and it's it's, oh, yep. it's a good one. Well, Danielle, we wish you all the best in the future. We can't wait to see what more you produce. Listeners, if you want to support us and continue to support Danielle as well, please like us on Facebook, Instagram, give us a review, whatever it is, whatever all podcasters say do. We really do appreciate it and all those things. As always, my name is Josh. I'm Andrew. And I'm Danielle. And this has been the Tabletop Submarine.